When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We welcome you to the Wednesday Bible Study. My name is Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. That's the day job, uh, but also the director of themanchurch.com, which brings you this Wednesday Bible Study. We have been doing this Wednesday Bible Study long before themanchurch.com uh, was launched in 2020. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure some of the men can check me in the room that have been here the whole time. I think September's 10 years. I think that may be our 10th anniversary in September. I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're, we've been here a while. So uh, you can get uh, archives of past Bible studies if you would like. We've done various books of the Bible. We've done uh, some commentaries and books that other men have written. Uh, at the foundation, it's a men's Bible study. But obviously, when you're walking through books of the Bible, ladies, I know y'all join us from uh, around the country and, and all over the world, uh, not here in the room, but via the technology. Uh, you can either watch it live, as some of you are doing now, on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel at noon central every Wednesday or 1 o'clock Eastern, or you can catch the archive when it's made available. You can find those archives at themanchurch.com. Go there, themanchurch.com. Uh, there's a media button. Click that. It'll ask you if you want to listen to just the audio-only archives or you want to watch the YouTube archives, that opportunity, uh, either one of those are there. And it goes back through many years and, and many series that you can find there. And it also keeps you updated on this one. We're in the Revelation right now. Uh, so today we'll be in the Revelation chapter 16. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, themanchurch.com is uh, a, a men's discipleship strategy hub you go there, we have a 40-week curricula. we got uh, four different ones now. we got a fifth one that will come out next year. We have individual resources for men. We have speakers that go out and teach either at your events or, if you're following our strategy, uh, the, the services uh, where the men are gathering. And this is happening all over the country. And I want to give you an opportunity. One of the ways to find a church that's doing our strategy, and I get this email all the time, is just find a man church going on somewhere because that means they're doing the strategy. And you go there and you hear one one of our speakers and teachers are one that they've uh, you know, set up for themselves. And then you go into our curriculum small groups, and each one of those is 40 weeks. All, all of them have different topics. Uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Crestview, Florida will start this Friday night. This is their first one. Uh, they'll kick it off and then plug you into one of our curriculum. Blake Prime from our team will be there teaching. Blake and I actually teach Sunday school together at our home church in, in Birmingham. On August 4th, I'll head to Austin, Texas. I'll be there at City Reach Church. Looking forward to being there with those men, uh, they too have gotten a couple of our curriculum, and they're ready to go to plug men into a small gr small groups there, and they'll have two different options that you can get in. Then uh, Starkville, Mississippi, Scott Garoski, they're already doing the, the strategy, but this is their next gathering, and that's part of it. The gatherings are for high challenge, and then the curriculum is for high equipping. Uh, and uh, it, I just got an email from a pastor today before this Bible study started, and he wrote what we keep hearing. We have tried to establish a sustainable men's ministry for many years since I've been the pastor of this church, and we've tried them all. This is, he said, by far the best material we've ever used. Uh, and so in the best strategy that we've ever done. So, And it comes out of the Bible, so we didn't come up with it. But anyway, so Starkville, Mississippi, Scott Garoski will be there for the, the next gathering, and then they'll go back into the small groups. Uh, Tim Ashley will be at West Mobile Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama. They're already doing the strategy. This is their next gathering. Uh, and then on August 19th, Brian Gunn from our team will also be uh, speaking to the men at Hickory Hill Baptist Church, Westville, Florida. Uh, that's on the same day on August the 19th. And then August the 20th, uh, East Heflin Baptist Church in Heflin, Alabama, former Major League relief pitcher Todd Jones from our team will be speaking there. And then also on the 20th, I'll be just out behind my house uh, in Indian Springs, Alabama, uh, and I'll be speaking at Indian Springs Baptist Church. I told them they must cover travel, which will take all of three minutes. So so anyway, uh, looking forward to being there with them. So there's some places you can find it. So if you want to see the curriculum, thebandchurch.com. 
You want to see the strategy? Themanchurch.com. You want to find a man church near you? Themanchurch.com. It's all there, and I know fall's coming up. So if you don't, and I know a lot of a lot of uh, churches, that's the beginning of, of your year. If you don't have a strategy, we're here to help. Okay? So let's pray, and then let's jump right into the Revelation chapter 16. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, help us to glean and discern um, you know, th- this, this moment that is on the horizon of time. I think that's the takeaway, Lord, that you keep reminding me of as I study the Revelation. You keep reminding me that I am not reading a novel. I'm not reading science fiction. What I'm reading is the truth, and these events will take place. Not they might, they will. And, Lord, help us to have that attitude as we unpack the Word, even of those of us that are in the room, and I hope it's everybody. I'm not naive enough to think it is, but uh, hopefully it's everybody has already been justified, already been redeemed. I know that out there there are many that are not, and they may be kicking the tires and seeking today. But, but may this remind us today just how important it is, this theme you keep driving home. What you're saying to the lost is obvious, but just as obvious is what you're saying to the redeemed. Be disciples, make disciples People's eternity is at stake. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so let's let's look at what we're we're now rolling to the seven bowls of God's wrath. How many of you feel like we've been we've been told about these bowls, and we're like, are we are we ever going to get to the bowls? We're there. So so here it is, and this is what John um, uh, sees. I, I looked in some of the commentaries, and it, different people gave it different titles. But the one that I thought was sounded a little more like where I come from, it's not very deep, but it's straightforward. The terrible bowls will now be spilled, and uh, and they are terrible. And you remember what we learned last week? One thing that I honestly did not know, and I, I didn't have right, that these bowls are not deep. They're like saucers, which means it doesn't dribble. <clears throat> it's not a slow pour. It is a boom. And also, you're going to find that these uh, these bowls they, they come in there they're pretty rapid. You know, in the past uh, during the first part of the tribulation, you saw God getting by a break. Something would come down, they'd get a break. There's no break. It it, it is one after another. Uh, is uh, you're going to see a world ruined by man because we we were deceived and ruled by Satan uh, has been described. But now the time has come forth for the world to be rescued by God. So you got you got to see that. Remember, we talked about all along what he's been seeing from this revelation is what Satan took, God is taking back. And now he's gonna go ahead and he's gonna he's gonna bring the earth back to himself, and he's gonna get it back, really, for lack of a better term, to the garden, the original intent. So the, the, these vials, as some people call them, uh, the shallow bowls used uh, in, in temple worship, they're now filled with wrath and will now swiftly be poured. Again, don't, don't miss, there's not going to be a lot of delay here. It, just the, the people that are now going to receive God's wrath, they don't get a break. It, it, it is one horrible thing after another. So um, we, we believe, and we'll start in verse 1, many commentators believe that uh, more so than any of the judgments that we have seen prior to this moment, that what we're about to study right now is the most literal, other than the frogs, because John tells us the frogs are not literal. But, but the things that we're seeing God do, what he's saying is happening on earth, there really is not, well, now what this really means, it's just going to say what it says. When it says that this is happening, that's what's happening. Uh, it will be quite literal. Uh, the judgment angels are now standing in a solemn line with bowls in their hands, and they now have been issued the word of command, and, uh, and like a lightning flash, they go forth on their errands of doom. Let's read that in verse 1. Here's what John saw. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. That's all they've been waiting to hear. But, but as always, what you're going to see, we serve a God of order. I hope that we've driven that point home throughout the many years that we've been in here. 
because you need to know that in the world in which we now live, God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. It is the adversary that loves the, the atmosphere of chaos. He loves it. And, you, and you've seen this. You know, anytime things get chaotic, the adversary can always get human beings to do something he wouldn't have got them to do any other way. Uh, any other way. It's the reason why he tells us to protect our minds. That's the reason why uh, being a drunk and being a drug user, you know, you open up your mind to a chaotic way of seeing things, and you we open ourselves up to demonic uh, influence. When if we'd have kept ourselves sober-minded, as as the scriptures told us. Uh, we would not be as susceptible to this kind of stuff. And I think any of us who have ever struggled with that, you can say amen right now. I know I can. So remember the things I say. I start here first, and I'm pointing at me for those of you that are listening. So then let's look what happens now, because this is going to be swift. It's going to be quick. They're standing in order. They're very solemn. They're, they're like a military, and all they're waiting for is for the, the Lord God Almighty they serve to say, go, start pouring them, and they do. And they go into action. They go into action quickly. So um, when well, let's look at verses two uh, through nine. Is gonna they're, they're going to kind of cover uh, with the exodus of the uh, avenging angels, uh, and and it's it's not going to be a wild stampede, right? You're you're going to watch them pour out the wrath of God in a very orderly fashion. Even when he's pouring out his wrath, he does it with order. So let's look at verse two. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now this is important. Sickness will be the first bowl, and you know we we kind of got to feel what that feel like didn't, uh, from in twenty twenty, didn't we? So so sickness is now going to be poured out, but. What I love about God's revelation to John, he makes it clear that when this is poured out, who it's poured out on, it's going to be harmful, it's going to be painful, it will feature sores, it will feature disease, but look who he says it came upon. It came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So how could they have not had these sores poured out on them? Don't take the mark of the beast and don't worship him. Stay true to God. So what you're seeing is when we when you start thinking about all these things, well, these these people who well, I just don't know that I can worship a God that, that you know, you've heard us talk about that before. It's ignorance. What you're seeing is a gracious and merciful God that has said over and over and over, don't do this and do this. If you don't do this, it leads to destruction, it leads to wrath, it leads to agony, it leads to problems. This is what I've said to do, and if you, if you repent and if you are, will, will acknowledge me as your Lord, if you'll turn from your own authority and come under my authority and cry out in repentance, I cry out for forgiveness. I ask that you forgive me. I believe that you have completed my redemption on the cross, and I believe, Jesus, that you and you alone have paid the price for my sin, and if I belong to you, then the God's wrath has already been poured out on you, but then what God says, if you reject my son, then my wrath's going to be poured out on you. He makes it clear. You don't take the mark of the beast. First of all, you don't wait to the tribulation. There's your first one. So they've waited for the tribulation, and now you're in the tribulation, but you can still be redeemed. Just repent. Don't take the mark of the beast. Don't worship his image. And these people that are about to get this poured out on them said, no, thank you. And you're going to see now there's a turn. There's not even... There's no desire for these people to repent. None. You're not going to believe. All this does is make them more and more angry with God, and they blaspheme him more and more and more. And we'll, we'll talk about why that is. But anyway, so remember that, that, that they were warned that, that if they took the mark of the beast, remember, we covered that. We studied it in here. It's in the Word of God. If you take the mark of the beast and you worship him, this means ceaseless torment, miserable sores, cancers, every kind of disease you can imagine. And God said, if you do this, what will come on you will feature pain that will never end. You ever been in pain? 
Do, do you, do, can, you, can you even recall the euphoria of that first moment the pain seems to subside a little bit? It, it, it is one of the greatest feelings in the world because you're so miserable. I remember a, a moment that, that I understand drug abuse in, to some degree. There's some of them that are hard for me to comprehend, but this is one that's a very dangerous situation because I experienced it. I came into the emergency room with a gallbladder attack in full swing. I mean, I, I literally thought I didn't. I remember telling Sherry, I said, I don't know what's going on, but we got to get it stopped. And, uh, and I came in that emergency room, and I was in excruciating pain. Uh, matter of fact, my gallbladder nearly went septic. And so I remember this nurse walks in, and she, 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 they've got me hooked up with the IV, and she said, I'm about to be your best friend. <laughs> and, buddy, she took that morphine, and, and as soon as that morphine hit my body, it was like the hand of God just touched me. And, and I looked up, and I looked at Sherry, and I said, this is dangerous stuff. <laughs> I ain't never, I ain't felt this good, and I don't know when. Because why? The pain I had was immediately taken away. Well, this is the opposite end. I'm in misery, and guess what? It's never going to end. This is the rest of my eternity. I'll never not be in misery. And you, and it could have been avoided by simply repenting and saying, "I can't save me, but I, I, I understand you. You've offered redemption to me, Lord. And so I'll take it." as opposed to you offer me redemption and I don't want any part of it. So here, here's, here's what he says. So that's who it gets poured out on. And then let's look at, uh, at verse 3. Now the environment is going to suffer. And l- take a look around you these days because the worship of the environment, that is that this is not a coincidence right now. So verse 3, the second angel poured out its bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. Anybody ever been down to the beach when there's a fish kill? That smells good, doesn't it? Uh, I've, I've, I've actually, you ever, you ever had a beach trip ruined by that? A bunch of dead fish washed up on the shore, Red Sea, that kind of stuff. And so um, I remember that I have a, we have a pond at our farm, and it has turned over not once but twice. And it literally felt that way. I remember pulling up one day to fish, and I looked out there, and I said, what's all this white stuff on top of the pond? And I, my brother was with me and my dad, and I remember saying, this feels like this feels like the end of time. It looks like some kind of plague. I mean, it's just dead fish everywhere, and all the scavengers or buzzards are filling the trees, and it's just a nasty, nasty experience. So I want you to imagine you're still on, here on earth, and not just the Nile turned to blood, like when God was freeing his people from Egypt, the sea has turned to blood. You realize how big that is, how much death that is. I mean, it is going to be a fish kill like there has never been. Nothing that lives in the water will survive. And this is also God taking away access to water that can help you. It's all going to go bad, uh, and there won't be any available to you. Uh, and and now. When you think about, what do they tell us about the earth, how much of it is water? Think about how much of it is water. And one of the, I think it was John Phillips said, the globe will now wear a girdle of death. I thought that's a great line because there's so much water and it's all death now, every bit of it. So that is, has been, the, the smell of this is going to be overwhelming. The next one is, is laid out a little longer, the next judgment, uh, four through seven, uh, will be part of, of what the third angel will do. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers. Do y'all notice not much pause here between the bowls? Not a lot of pause. Uh, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, and this is important, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Anybody gray on what God's saying through this angel? Well, the salt water's gone. Guess what's gone next? The fresh water. Now everything's blood, everything's dead. 
Water is of no use to you now. There's no good water to be found. Can you imagine you sitting there thinking, well, this river right here is what we get our water from, and all of a sudden that river's dead. There's nothing you can do with it. It's blood. But but I think what we really need to take away is the longer judgment. This is, this is another ecological disaster uh, that moves down to the fresh water and turns all of it to blood. I, I, this is another statement. I think MacArthur had this statement. He said, Jesus' first miracle was turning water to wine, and now water has been turned to blood. The righteousness of the judgment is acknowledged. The angels have the authority over the forces of nature. That is very clear. Verse 6, the beast and his followers have shed the blood of the mar- and martyred the saints, and now the rivers have been given to them as they t- as they produced blood of the saints by martyring them. The angel says, now God will give you blood to drink. You remember when they were all going, when will we be avenged? When will you hand down your hand, hand out your vengeance on them? Vengeance is yours, but when are you going to do it? You know what God says? Now. Now. And I'm doing this for y'all. I'm These people that killed you, Remember, they're not going to get away with it. I hate when people say that. It just bothers me when bad people get away with something. They don't get away with it. I, I, I talked to a person, I'll be careful with this, but a couple of weeks, in the, in the last couple of weeks, and the person had a, had a vendetta against another human being who had, who had passed away. And for some reason, they, they wanted us to, to talk about it. The person was dead. And from everything I had gathered, that person had completely repented of everything they had done, had spent the last six, seven years of their life as a follower of Christ. And there were many who confirmed that, including the person that let that person move in with them to disciple them. Okay, a family member that was a a, a pastor. And so I said, so you want me to go on the air and tell everybody the bad things this this guy did to you? I said, that's vengeance. First of all, all indications are that he repented. Doesn't mean that what he did didn't matter. He paid a price for that. Sin always matters. So we're not skirting that. But what you want, sir, is you want vengeance. Now, you're, you're, you're shrouding it under the people don't need to make this guy out to be a hero. Of course, no one was making him out to be a hero. And if you're calling us acknowledging that he was redeemed to making him out to be a hero, then you have to take that up with God. I don't know how that's heroic to admit that you were so sinful that God had to forgive you. But I said, what you seek is personal vengeance. And I said, that's sin. Because the Lord said he'll be the one to handle the vengeance. So if this person is putting on the show and they never really repented and we were all fooled by them and they never really changed or whatever, then God will deal with that. But it's not your place. So I will not participate in that because that's just vengeance. That's just sin is all that is. And, uh, and I understand that, that you were hurt, and, and that it that didn't mean that it didn't matter what they did. But, but let me tell you something. No one gets away with it. The Lord is the righteous judge, as these angels are saying. And, and as they were killing the saints, there would have been people going, wow, they're getting away with this. They didn't get away with it. Now they've been given blood to drink, and they've also they've got disease all over them, and they're in constant pain that does not cease. They might have had their moment, but they will be judged. And all who are on the wrong side of God will be judged. And you know what the angels are telling us? They're saying that the judgment that God is handing down is correct. Did y'all catch verse 7? And I heard the altar saying, yes, God the Almighty, true, and your and just are your judgments. The altar is speaking. Who, who was it under the altar that we kept seeing? The saints that had been martyred. And the altar cries out on behalf of the saints. They had it coming. And what you're doing to them, God, is correct. They're getting what they deserve. And the altar who's been, that's been sheltering these martyred saints now cries out with a glad and thankful endorsement of the true and righteous judgment of God. 
the angel says it is what they deserve in verse 6b, and then the altar says your judgments are just. Why? This is important because of who you are. He's the only one worthy. He's the only one right. He's the only one perfect. But he also can't change his character. And all the opportunity that has been afforded these people, and of course he's at war with the demonic forces that are waging war against him as well, their day has come. What happens next, really, you can see in the headlines today. You see a lot of a, a lot of a lot of hype about the, the well, they wouldn't call it the fourth angel, but uh, kind of the birth pangs of the fourth angel. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Do you find that to be kind of well, straightforward? I mean, this is not a very long sentence. Uh, it's like I mean, this is a pretty big deal. And John just looks up and says, oh, yeah, now we got an angel pouring out a bowl on the sun. It's going to scorch everybody. And you're like, wow, that is it? you want to expand on that at all? And, and, and so, but think about what we're, what we're dealing with. I want you to, can you flip over real quick? It's the last book of the Old Testament, if, uh, if, uh, if you're not familiar with Malachi, the prophet. So go to Malachi, and then we're going to go to chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evil evildoers will be stubble. <laughs> Listen to this. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So a day is coming, according to Malachi, the day of the Lord, when the earth will become like an oven. What are we hearing about all the time now? Global warming. Man-made global warming. We must, we must save the earth. It's man-made global warming. And, of course, the people who do that continue to live as if they don't really believe it, but which kind of hurts the message, and it hurts us as followers of Christ when we claim to believe something, but the way that we live doesn't look like we do. But um, this is this. If, if, if you can so see the satanic, the environment right now, it's really turned into a cult. The environmentalists, it's almost like a, a false religion. I mean, it's just gotten weird. It, it, it's very cult-like, and and you, of course, can be attacked and destroyed if you if you stand against it. Can't you see, like a C student from Cone County, that this would be the perfect way to say this isn't God's wrath. This is just the climate that we destroyed as human beings with all of our industry. I mean, you're hearing things right now, don't you? Unprecedented heat, except for 1936, when we had temperatures that looked very much like they do today. You know, um, so... This is coming. There's no doubt about that. The earth is going to be burned, and it's going to be burned, it looks like, by the sun. Y- y'all do realize that, that we have a constant nuclear explosion that is above us every single day. But they're going to convince you that your air conditioning is changing the climate. I want you to you realize that if that, if that sun is altered even remotely, what it does to the climate here how much impact that sun has on the climate now keep in mind some things to look at with the sun because it's brief according to john but it's severe so you 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 think about this why is he using fire here and why do we see that when he refines the earth and there's a big fire you know he's not gonna flood it again but it's gonna be fire this time think about this what did the false prophet do as one of his miracles to legitimize the beast as being supernatural and a Christ. He called fire down from heaven. So what God is coming now and saying, oh, I'll show you fire from heaven. I'll show you fire from heaven. And he's given it right back to him, and he pays back this lying miracle. If you remember, if you don't remember that, go back to when we studied chapter 13, and look at verse 13, what the false prophet was doing. 
signs of the sun, the Lord spoke of it uh, in, um, in in Luke twenty one twenty five. So if you got that, look over to uh, Luke twenty four twenty. I mean twenty one twenty five. Uh, Luke's in the New Testament, uh, and go to chapter twenty one, and and look at uh, twenty five. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars. When Christ was crucified, the sun went what? Dark. So the the sun has always been used to, to give us signs and now the sun is just waiting, going, you made me dark when your son was crucified to let everybody know that, that, that he was who he said he was. The sun is going, you created me. I'm standing by now. Just give me the signal when you want me to scorch the earth and burn everybody. Oh, the, the, the sunscreen won't help on this one. This, this, this one's going to be, this is going to be really, really bad. And look what happens when this happens. In nine, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire, and that they were scorched by the fierce heat. And look what their response is: not repentance. They cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give Him glory. Wow! Do you see that these people had have kind of made their decision? about God. And you know why the biggest problem they have? You know, you know the people on this earth that won't repent, you know who they are? People who don't think they need to repent. You know what they're saying, we don't deserve this. There's not an ounce of weeping, woe is to us, we should have listened. Uh, it, this is on us, we brought this on ourselves. You warned us about this, oh righteous and merciful God. Please is there a chance you could forgive us? We we hear you now. No, they just grind their teeth, and they curse God, acknowledging that he's doing it. There's no, they're not delusional. They know he's doing it, and they still wag their finger at him. I, I've heard men say this before, and, and I remember my grandfather talking about this, and at the time I thought, no way. But I actually think he's right. He said, I, I really believe that there are people if they get the opportunity, and when they're standing before the judgment seat of God, instead of crying and weeping and being woeful about what they've done to themselves and how they've rejected God's plan of redemption, they'll still be telling him he doesn't know what he's doing. How pathetic. No repentance. And you know you know the people who don't repent, like I said, are the people who don't think they need to. Why should I repent? I'm a good person. I don't have anything to repent of. We've heard that, haven't we? So tell me about your – that's the reason why I'm, anytime you're talking to someone who claims to be redeemed, I, I, I was talking with a guy, and there was, there was a lot of confusing fruit. And I said, so I want to ask you something. I said, because honestly, listen to you, I just think you're lost. Because I had to come to the same conclusion. He just looked at me. He said, you think I'm lost? I said, yeah. I mean, I'm not your judge. I'm just saying – if someone came to me and said, Burge, based on talking to this guy, you think this guy's redeemed? I would say no. For the same reason the guy told me I wasn't redeemed. Same exact reason. And I so this is how you'll find out. I said, but I could be wrong, so tell me about your redemption. You would have thought I had a trick question. If you claim to be redeemed, you ought to know how you are redeemed, right? Shouldn't you know how that happened? But when I asked him, he really didn't know. And you know the thing he didn't understand? Repentance. Had no concept of it. You know what he thought? He was a pretty good guy, and he believed in God. That's what he thought. I certainly am glad he does believe in God, but the fact that you believe in God, now you've admitted you don't have an excuse. And so we, we and you know what he said at the end of our time together? And it was, it was, a, it was several weeks, and we got the devotional out, Transformed, since that's what that's about. And I said, let's walk through this for the next 31 days. And you know what he said finally? And praise God, he, he has repented. He said, I did not understand what transformation meant. 
I was grossly ignorant to what the Bible had to say about this new life. Now that that's on him because it's been readily available, and uh, and 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 you know you find out things pretty quick, like the guy found out with me when I had to admit that I was lost. Church attendance not real high on the list, so he wasn't even going to access the teaching that was that was all around him. But once he actually committed to the teaching of the Word of God, the Word of God, what? It'll pierce your heart. It convicted him. I didn't convict him, but the Word of God did. And he said that I didn't understand this concept. And even you could see, even in his mind, you know what began to come come alive, the clarity? Oh, no wonder I'll, I'll do the things I do. No, it all makes sense now. Uh, I didn't have the power of God. So... Y'all, y'all, y'all pray for him. I won't give his name, but uh, he's he's making big, big steps now. Praise God. Unfortunately, because sin always matters, I don't know that his family is going to be intact when it's over. But uh, but maybe, maybe. So uh, so so. But I tell you what, he's getting his he's getting right with God. But there's always earthly repercussions for the one, things we do. Why? Because sin always matters. Um, all right. So let's let's look at what happens next. So. The fifth angel, starting in, in 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Now the beast going to get some. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Wow. Here we go again. So the judgment's going to be completed in three stages. Uh, first of all, God's going to knock out the dominion of the beast. Uh, everything the beast thinks he's built, God's going to wipe out. It's going right at the beast now. Uh, and um, he, he, he is no longer immune uh, to what's going on around him. Because, you know, what, what had been going on around him for a while uh, was just happening to the people. But now... As you know, as you see this, you know, if you ever watch any kind of movie, sometimes whoever's behind the scenes pulling the strings, you ever go, we got to get this guy. And so God realizes the source of all this. And then, uh, then he goes after the beast and everything that the beast has built, uh, God takes away. So if, if you, uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to go over to the prophet Joel. And if, if you have your Bible, go to Joel, J O E L. And I know that may not be one you turn to a whole lot, and I always get it out of order exactly where he is. But it's one of the one of the uh, uh, the prophets toward the end, like I told you about Malachi, of um, of the um, of the Old Testament. So look what Joel says. Um, Joel says this, and and this kind of ties into what we're seeing here. This is in chapter two, verses one and two. Blow, and and this is my Bible says the day of the Lord. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains. A great and powerful people, their like has never been before, nor will there be again after them through the years of all the generations." So the day of the Lord is featuring all the things that we are seeing here because you, you have, look what the fifth angel says. It says, and the kingdom was plunged into what? Darkness. What did Joel say? A day's coming of darkness and thickness on the day of the Lord. People gnawed their tongues in anguish. What's this? They're still suffering from the first one. They're still miserable. They still have sores and disease, and they're in pain. Now all this is collapsing all around them, and in this moment of darkness and and uh, and the beast and his empire being destroyed, they're now just gnawing and 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 their tongues in anguish. They are in pain. They are in misery. It's all falling apart. The beast that they worshipped is falling apart. The empire is falling apart. And what do they do? Verse eleven. They curse God. Uh, in heaven for their pain and their sores, and they do not repent of their deeds. You think God's made the right choice on these people? He certainly has. Jude 13. Look at verse 13 in, in the book of Jude. 
Jude is, is showing us something uh, uh, very very similar as well. The book of Jude in, in 13 is telling us that um, that there also is darkness. Uh, so look at verse 13. I'm sorry, because there's only one chapter of Jude. And uh, and when you go to Jude, you'll see where I've lost it. Well, I had it marked right here, and now I can't find it. Um, well, I've, I've turned right past it again. But anyway, somebody if, if somebody has that, I'm looking at verse 13 of of Jude, and for some reason I, I I can't find it. It's right after the Revelation. I keep turning past it back into uh, it's only one page, Rick. It's right there. All right, here we go. Verse 13. I kept going back into the epistles of John. Uh, look at 13. Wild waves of sea casting upon the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So all these images that we've seen from the prophets, what we've seen from, from Jude, it's all happening, and John is seeing these things before his very eyes. The blas- They blaspheme God because he's the one that's making us suffer. They still don't think they deserve it. But I'm going to tell you something. Even the things that we go through now, I'd be real careful if you're going through difficulty ever getting in a pity party and think you don't deserve it. I, I've, I've had people say that to me many times before. How do you feel about the difficulties that you've been through the things that God have, has allowed to happen to you. And I know some people don't like when I say that, but Scripture certainly says that. Um, and if you don't believe that God allows things, then you have to believe he can't stop them. I don't serve that God, do y'all? So, um, and you have heard me say this before, but it's worth saying again because these people don't have this reaction. And, and I would say that not just these people don't have this reaction. Sadly, I see people right now in the church age that, that, that don't have the right reaction that somehow the difficulty they're going through, they don't deserve. Well, y'all know what we all deserve, right? We all deserve hell, okay? And when people ask me about the difficulties, if it's ever changed my attitude toward God, I'm not just saying this because it's the right answer. The answer is no. And the answer to the reason why it hasn't changed my attitude is I was truly redeemed by God. I, I, you know, Now, I might have felt differently before I was truly redeemed by God. I'm sure I would have. And I had a pretty negative attitude about just about everything before I was redeemed. But uh, when God transformed me, his intimacy and the way I knew him so well, I understood the refinement in my life. You know, First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials to test the genuineness of your faith. Did y'all, did y'all hear the term right there, if necessary? So the only thing that, that, that I get sad about through the difficulties and the horrors that I've been through is I hate the fact that I'm so sinful, that's what it takes. Because there's things that have happened through the suffering that I've been through that weren't apparently going to happen any other way. You see Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 12, he's begging for this thorn to be removed from his flesh. He's miserable. He said, I've even got a demon harassing me about it but you didn't remove it and you didn't remove it because to keep me from being conceited, he says it. We never like to talk about that, but Paul says, well, one of the reasons I need this is I can be arrogant. So this keeps me humble and it reminds me that your grace is sufficient. What does that mean? It reminds me of how sinful I was and how you showed me grace. That's the reason why Paul says things like, your grace is not going to be wasted on me because I shouldn't even be an apostle. And where we get into trouble is somehow we think that God redeemed us because of how wonderful we are as opposed to he redeemed us because of how wicked we are because we need redemption. And whatever he needs to do, as Sherry says uh, and said in her book, I don't always like God's tactics, but I cannot argue with his results. He seems to always get it right. All right, so uh, here's what happens. So what they're saying is, we don't deserve this. That's not repentance. How dare you punish us? That's the reason why you hear the, 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 when Jesus says, in hell there'll be crying, but there'll also be the gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of teeth are the people that say, we didn't deserve this. The crying people said, I missed it. Woe is us. 
I had an opportunity and I never, I was never redeemed and I was offered redemption and they acknowledge that they deserve to be in hell and they're wailing and, 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 and they are grieving over it. The gnashing of the teeth people are still in there saying they shouldn't be there. How dare God do this to me? See, I know all the things I did, but they never did the will of the father, according to Jesus. So now the directions of the battle will be released. Two major events. Um, you know, this this is kind of cool what happens in uh, in 12 through 16. Let's run through this real quick. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Underline that. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. Underline like, because that's important to notice this in the Revelation. John tells you when something is an analogy and not literal. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of the God of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place in Hebrew that is called Armageddon. Here we go. So you got you got two major events here that you compare, there's there's what God did, right? Hear me. When God's wrath was satisfied the first time for the redeemed, it happened on Mount Calvary. Okay? So God's wrath was handed down on his son. Don't think that Jesus did not receive the wrath of his father. He absolutely did. You, know, you hear people that don't get the gospel right sometimes. Well, you know, God decided not to pour out his wrath. That's not true. He just poured it out on his son. So Mount Calvary, there's the redemption story. God's wrath poured out on his son, meaning all during the church age, which, praise God, we're still in. Those of you that keep waiting, we're still in. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. That's action. Repent. Turn from your sin. Leave faith in yourself. Place your faith in Christ. Uh, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that his father raised him on the third day, and you will be saved. For with the, the mouth one confesses and is justified, and with the heart one believes and is saved. So the wrath of God poured out on Jesus on Mount Calvary. Well, the next time God's wrath and the final time is poured out, it'll be on the plain of Megiddo. It won't be on the mountain. It'll be on that plain. And I've had the opportunity, and some of you have too, to see it. Calvary represents God's grace. Megiddo represents God's vengeance and wrath. Both, both are bloodbaths. The brutality of the cross and the brutality of this war shows you that God's wrath always is a bloodbath. It always is. And that's how serious he takes sin, both on his son and at the end. They both feature wrath against sin. Calvary says it is finished. Armageddon says it is done. Three things about the armies. Why is the Euphrates being dried up so everybody can get on the battlefield? I mean, the folks from the east can't get there. That, that, that's what was blocking this east versus west. So you know what God does? He says, I've got the Euphrates cleared up for you. Come on through. Let's, let's, let's all get out on the battlefield and let's get ready. How silly they are not realizing that God's the one providing the path to their destruction. They're like, well, we can't get over there. We can't, we can't get across this river because it was gigantic. I mean, the Euphrates is huge, uh, but it, it will be dried up. And, uh, and so if you remember, have you caught the little analogy here? Do you remember when Babylon was taken over the first time, how they were defeated? Do you remember what happened? Cyrus, the Persian, he dried the, he dried the river. And they thought they couldn't, nobody could get in there. Well, he dried the river and then walked in under the, un, un, under the part that was blocking off uh, the, uh, um, the, the palace. You couldn't go over the wall, so he just went under. So Cyrus uh, uh, defeated Babylon through walking in on the dry bed of water by damming it up. And now this time, when Babylon has been rebuilt, it will be destroyed yet again, and part of the destruction of Babylon will include God removing the water uh, from the Euphrates for ba the, the new Babylon to be destroyed again. Uh, the waters of the Euphrates um, is about 1,800 miles long, uh, and that obstacle had to be removed, and it was. But these armies are delusional. 
They're delusional because they don't understand that God's permissive will is allowing them to walk onto this battlefield and, uh, and, and be defeated and destroyed once and for all because this is the last event that's going to happen before the millennial reign of Christ. Now, remember, John tells us about these frogs, okay? He says that what comes out of the mouth of the false prophet— keep in mind, don't forget this, it's going to come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. There's the unclean uh, trinity. Three unclean spirits like frogs. They're not frogs. He says they just remind me of frogs. And there's, you know, a lot of people talking about what does that mean? Flogs, I mean, frogs are amphibians because so, so they can they can move around on land in the water. They have poison in their skin. They can change colors uh, to be deceptive. Uh, they they can leap. Uh, and, and, of course, the bottom line is it says this satanic trinity is spewing out demons that will make sure that everybody is deceived into getting on that battlefield. And they'll be able to do all kinds of things. Uh, and, and so they're also delusional, not just by the permissive will of God, but the purposeful will of God, meaning God doesn't just permit it. He also planned it. God, God has, has goals beyond the dreams of man. And, of course, Jesus, as they put it in red writing in my Bible, was the one who said, Behold, I come as a thief. What does that mean? His coming is going to be a surprise. And 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 so and what he's saying to the saints, remember he's talking about this in Matthew twenty four, uh, that that the saints need to be ready, and they need to uh, because they don't need to be tempted, they need to be ready to finish because that's the ones that were still on the earth because there'll be deceptive propaganda during all this everywhere and all this propaganda that those that are still on earth will face is come with us, be part of us, we're going to defeat God. The beast is going to win. The false prophet has already told us he's our guy. And, and, what, and what Jesus is saying is, look, be ready. you got to stay awake. Keep your garments on that you do not go about naked and be exposed. Don't let these demons deceive you into joining them against God. Finish. And you know what? We're not going to see if you're redeemed. You're not going to see the tribulation. I don't believe that. Okay, you, you, we're going to show up there at the end. Of course, we don't get to do much. But, 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 but what I do know is this: as we live here right now, there is deception everywhere, and the demons who are currently operating in the society in which you and I now live, they're trying to do a version of it now. Say, join them. You got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. The things that God says he's going to everybody's going to be saved. God's not going to send you into hell. God's not going to punish you. What kind of God is that? Join us. And you say, well, Rick, they're not literally going against God. No, they're just trying to give you a false version of God so you'll worship an idol as, a, as opposed to the true God, and it'll cost you. Do you realize how many people finish well? Now. Not many. Because somewhere along the way, they got deceived. Somewhere along the way, they got pulled into something that even if it couldn't take their redemption, it destroyed their ministry. And chaos went everywhere. I remember every time somebody who has been given a platform, every time they fall, I've been there to pick up the pieces. You know what I find? The people who love them and were being shepherded by them are completely confused. And many of them fall away. So that's going on now, and you better be ready, and you better have your garments on. You better not walk around naked and get exposed. So deception and propaganda is everywhere. And then, of course, he draws them to the Armageddon. He draws them into thinking they can fight God. The destruction of Babylon is realized in 17 through 21. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came uh, out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. Remember what I said? Calvary says it is finished. Megiddo says it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, great earthquake. Look at this. Don't think, well, you know, Rick, I've been around earthquakes. Not like this one you haven't. Listen to what Scripture says about this earthquake. The earthquake was so great, there had, there had never been since man was on the earth, so great was the earthquake. So there had never been one like it, ever. You hear a lot of things about unprecedented this. This will be unprecedented. 
Listen how powerful it is. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nation fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. You know what he said? You're going to drink it all. You ever had that? Try to give medicine. Somebody kept don't want to take it all, and you say, no, you need to take it all. You know what God says? Oh, I'm going to pour out this wrath in this cup, and you will not spit a drop of it out. I'm going to make you drink it all. You, you should have never gone against me. And so he is pouring this out, and he says, and every island fled away. Can you imagine what this will look like? And no mountains were to be found. The mountains are gone. They're all collapsing. And great hailstones. Picture people sending James Spann these pictures. <laughs> By the way, light note with five minutes on the clock. Don't send James pictures of little pebbles of ice. If you ain't got a hailstone bigger than that, then don't send a picture. All right, we only want to see pictures of the really big ones. I really wouldn't like seeing things smaller than than the golf ball, but I'll take a quarter. All right. So anyway, hey James, look at this. What is that? It looks like crushed ice. I mean, so uh, so anyway. But every island. Now listen to these hailstones. About in our our measurements, about a hundred pounds. Each fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of hell because the plague was so severe. The, the actual measurement here is actually a Hebrew measurement, and, and the measurement that they used, which we're translating into 100 pounds, they considered this weight to be the heaviest weight a human being could be asked to carry. That's, that's, that's a heavy hailstone. Picture 100 pounds hitting you, falling out of the sky, wide open. And um, so you, you see that, you know, right at the close of this, this is important and then we'll be done. The temple is seen at the close of, of all the series of the three judgments that we've already studied in the Revelation. But this last that we just saw, when these angels walked out of the temple, we're not going to see the temple anymore. Okay, because God is getting ready to dwell with his people. And, of course, uh, we already know that he told us that the time would come when there would be a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, and a new earth. Apocalypse um, is, 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 is upon us now. It is done and now we're going to see everything instead of from the earth's view, we're going to see it from heaven's view. And you see all of this going on. Now, one of the things you might want to make a note of, okay, is some people keep saying, was well, Babylon going to literally be rebuilt? And then there's all kinds of people say, well, we're, what we're talking about is modern-day Rome, and then some people have even tried to say it's the USA, which I don't think that holds up at all, um, or it's Jerusalem. But, but God actually takes Jerusalem, and he's going to do, do a new Jerusalem, but you don't see it you know, paying the price here. We know the beast will blaspheme uh, the, the temple. We know that. But, but many believe that Babylon, a modern version of it, does get rebuilt, that this is what this seems to mean, because he's talking specifically about how big it is and, and how, how you know, God's going to destroy it. And so the most reliable is that Babylon would be rebuilt, and I'll tell you one of the reasons, not, not just because people think that may be. The Old Testament prophets seem to focus on it so much. They always are focused on Babylon, and, and it's likely that it's rebuilt to be the headquarters for the empire of the beast. Isaiah, he, he seemed to discuss certainly past Babylon that was defeated, but he also kept, uh, kept talking about Babylon during the day of the Lord. So if he's talking about Babylon during the day of the Lord, that's a future Babylon, and, and many pointed that out. I thought that was a great point. And, and he mentions that, that in the day of the Lord that Babylon will be, this is Isaiah, would be destroyed in a violent overthrow. Well, the first time Babylon, they were duped by Cyrus coming in, sneaking in. It wasn't a violent overthrow. So they, they, they say that it seems to be that Babylon will be rebuilt. And right now, and Sherry and I saw this, there's places going on in Iraq where they're trying to bring these gardens back, these beautiful gardens, and they are saying that they want to rebuild Babylon for a tourist attraction, for tourist dollars. We get to go and see what Babylon, how wonderful and incredible it was. They're building, literally building Babylon back. So we'll see. Uh, Napoleon dreamed of rebuilding it. After viewing the valley at Megiddo, he wanted to rebuild it. And you remember Napoleon looked out over that battlefield. And he said, I've never seen a battlefield so perfect. It would be designed if you could build Babylon back right here, you could be able to defend it. And um, 
when you think about um, the hell that's falling on these people and everything that happens at the end, I hope that anybody who's made the decision that they're going to do a will see, that's not, that's not the game plan. And then for those of us that are already redeemed, and this happens a lot throughout this study of the Revelation, it's here to warn us, this revelation that we have, of these future events that will happen. But it's also here to motivate us that when Jesus told us to be disciples and go make disciples, it was not just a casual thing that was handed down to us like social work. You remember how he told us to love people? Can you think of anybody that you really want this to happen to? But it is going to happen to those that remain or for those that die prior and reject the redemption that is provided only through Jesus Christ. God's judgment is perfect and it is correct. And right now it's been handed out on his son. And he's ready to redeem all who repent and leave authority in themselves. But if we reject God's wrath being poured out on his son, who has returned to his glory, when the son returns and the nations get on the battlefield against him, God's wrath will be poured out on all who rejected his son. And no one wants to be in the hands of a righteous, angry God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the, the visions and the things we see. Thank you for the warning. And thank you, Lord, for redemption. And thank you, Lord, that we are still in the time of your grace. And you love us enough to, to show us the future so that we can apply it to today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.